What do you think of my new Barca shirt? I hate Barca, so I hate it. Why? <laughs> I mean, I think you can still have a positive opinion about whether something looks good, wouldn't you say? It's a good looking shirt. I mean, I like the fact that it's uh, uneven stripes. Uneven stripes? Wow. Yeah, I'll appreciate that. Dude, this is yeah, like a lot this of is design. Yeah, no, I appreciate the fact that it's not just like straight stripes every single time. The the newer designs are cooler than the older ones, that's for sure. I hate these, like, you know those thick blocky stripes that they've had for like 30 years or whatever? Yeah. I actually yeah. got this on sale, the Black Friday <gasps> sale. What? Oh, so shit. I, I got it for that. like 40 bucks, I think. Is there a name on the back? No, no nameless. That's what you got to do. You got to put if it there's a name on the, name back. the back, it'll probably be, it would have been like on sale for 100 bucks. <laughs> Yeah, but I think, like, to me, if there's no name on the back, I don't want it. I'll, I'll put a name on the back later, aftermarket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually did want to uh, get a name. Um, I really wanted to get a Govy shirt, but I don't yeah, I do don't I? think Govy is popular enough to have his own shirt at the moment. I could be wrong. But I actually asked him to, you know, how much does it cost to get it printed or how long does it take to get printed? He's like, oh, you got to go on your our website to register um the print and then you go to wait for confirmation I'm like that sounds like way too much work <laughs> just man, to get a it's worth it though man you gotta you gotta represent a single player i love doing that i don't know this is true this is true and i think govy is actually the next you ready for this i'm hoping you're gonna finish the sentence i'm trying to i, I thought you could you gotta read. say javi right you gotta yeah say javi. there we go see <laughs> see it's just so yeah. obvious, right? Is it so, so obvious? Yeah. Similar name. Well, come on. <laughs> come on. Yes, it's a similar name. But have you seen him play a lot? Have you seen Not him really. I mean, I know he's like sort of a deep, sort of deep playmaker. So he plays the same way. So I get like the comparison. I'd be more excited about Pedri if I were you, to be honest, personally. Well, here's the thing. I think Chavi, oh, sorry, Pedri and Gavi are the Chavi and Iniesta of our age. That makes sense. Because Pedri yeah, plays a little bit up front. He plays pretty much in that Iniesta yeah. position, and and Gavi plays the Chavi position. So the role perfected by Santi Cazorla. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Welcome to Legico, everybody. Um, we should probably turn the podcast into a football channel. We could talk a lot about football, couldn't we? Oh man, yeah, I could do. I would be much more knowledgeable about football than I am movies. Really? To be honest, wow. yeah, for sure. I think you'd be sure. a king at it then, because I think you're pretty knowledgeable at movies. Ah, you're just blowing smoke, man, blowing smoke. Yep. <laughs> oh, smoke and mirrors. Wait, that's not the saying. What is it? Smoke and mirrors. <laughs> oh yeah. So smoke up the ass. Smoke is up what the I was ass. Getting at. Oh, okay. Piss the ass. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Okay, I just poured my beer. And holy crap, look at this. Man, you did a... <laughs> <laughs> That's just all heads, man. <sighs> to the listener, um, I just poured me a beer. This is actually a brand new beer, uh, let's say beer style, that I'm not really familiar with or akin to. Who the hell says akin to beer? What I mean is like I don't usually drink this style of beer. This is actually a uh, ale from a brewery that is a monk brewery. Um, and apparently nice. there's this whole kind of licensing thing around having a monk brewery or something like that. Or, or I think it's like there's a certain style of beer that the monk breweries 
can only make and nobody else can make them. So something along those lines. But was well, it like a champagne style thing? Like I don't know. I don't know. You, to get the name, you've got to be a monk. Yeah, something like that. I mean, these monk breweries have been around for hundreds of years, and they'd be brewing beer for a centuries oh it's legitimately monks legitimately these kind of stories where like nuns making yeah things better than everyone else because they got nothing better better to do (laughs) well yeah they've they've just got this long legacy of like beer making and this is from belgium um if you can see here chimay chimay yeah right that was cool it's a cool bottle yeah and it's called the pedis trappist yeah, okay, I'm not going to say that. Uh, it's called a Sturk Blonde or a Blonde Forte. Yeah. So, uh, listener, you obviously can't see this, but you could probably see snippets of it on Instagram. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Choose that. Choose you holding up the bottle as the uh, as the thumbnail. The snippet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, do that. But I did a terrible job at pouring that out. It's like, what the hell? Man, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know anything about beer, but I feel like you just, like, sort of shook it and then turned it upside down. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No way. No. Holy shit, I was not expecting it to taste like that. In a good or bad way? In the best way possible, dude. Holy oh, okay, crap. nice. Good. That is insane, Ooh. dude. I was sweating for a bit there. I, was, I thought you were going to go on a big old beer rant. Oh, my <laughs> God. That is so damn good. Wow. I'm going to give so much kudos and props to um to my guy, my guy at the at the bottle store that I go to. It's called the Oak Barrel. Um, <laughs> my guy. Oh, is that it's the just, one in the just a, city? Yeah, yeah. It's in the city on uh, Elizabeth Street. Elizabeth? Yep. Yeah, I, my bus stop is there. <laughs> <laughs> like outside the IGA? Yeah. <laughs> Catch the 343, baby. <laughs> that is true. I know that the bus, the buses that go down that street is heading towards Green Square. Yeah. That's so funny. You should go into that bottle store. It's pretty damn good. Yeah, I went. I went in there once and bought a whiskey. I think like um, it was good. It's a good experience. Yeah, I think they have yeah. the best selection possible. Um, anyway, uh, sorry to keep you waiting, listener. Uh, we're here to review and recap Top Gun Maverick. Now, this is the longest anticipated review and most requested review. Has it actually been? No, 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 I, I'm just joking. Yeah, <laughs> just because it, like... it came out so long ago, and I really wanted to, <laughs> I really wanted to record and review this, but I just, uh, I didn't have anybody to do it with. Sounds sad, eh? No, it um, does. Yeah, like I feel like this. You do solo ones sometimes. Though. I do do solo. I think you do yeah, it. I do do solo ones, but I just feel like a film like this requires or deserves two people to talk about it, especially if they are contrasting opinions to mine. I I get a little bit of a feeling that we're gonna have differing opinions on this. Would I be right? No, I don't think so. No? Well, it's funny because like I didn't really want to do this, and I'm, I'm not sure you could tell when we were messaging each I other. Could. Like, You're trying to avoid it. I can tell. Yeah, I was trying to avoid it real bad because I'm like the fans I hate want you. The man. First one, the fans want you. I though. hate. Do they? Yeah. Man, they have terrible taste. But um, no, the first one I hated, hated, and wow. hated like a, loathed. It was like a one out of. I feel like this is a real hate when the way you're saying it. Yeah, no, nah, because it was like it was one of those films where like, have you ever seen something where everyone's been talking about it for ages? It's like, oh, a film you have to see, and you just kind of never get around to yeah, it. And it's one of those films. Watch it. It's it's kind of like, um, like what do you call it? You'd probably lump uh, that famous one that everyone always says that you should watch Blade Runner, for example. It's like, hey, you have to watch Blade Runner. You know what? Blade Runner is actually in that. 
exact pile for Dude, me. I'm the same. I think me and you are the same. I like Oh shit, okay, nice. Like Blade Runner is like it's kinda like a cult classic, but it's a little bit cooler than a cult classic. And then everybody's like, Oh yeah, it's it's considered one of the greatest eighties films of all time. And I'm kinda like, uh I don't know if it's that. I don't I don't think it's bad, but I definitely don't rate Blade Runner very high. Yeah, I feel like it's a movie that like just stops and ponders and then it just never does anything else. Right? Blade like, Runner it or just Top Gun? Does Blade Runner. Like right. it just like like it's asking questions about itself and it's like being a bit um because the thing is it's not a film that's entirely trying to become this like deep thriller sure. with with psychological elements to it. Mm-hmm. It wants to be an action film, but it just never picks up. It doesn't commit to anything, right? Like I, yeah, I feel like there's like, so many unfinished uh things in that film. <clears throat> yeah, it's just, it, I just feel like it's got, like, it, it starts off as this sort of, like, psychological thing where you try to figure out, like, are they real, are they not, yeah. is it important? Like, it's asking these serious questions, mm. and then it goes down this schlocky action path, but it doesn't actually get very far there either. And yeah. then it just kind of does everything half-assed. Kind of tries to Personal be, opinion. like, existential or something. Yeah, kind of. And I, w- I would have loved it if it just dived at that. Yeah, but it, but it doesn't, doesn't fully commit to it. Yeah, you're right. Like, it doesn't fully yeah. commit to action, doesn't fully commit to any particular genre, which can be fine if you have you know some cathartic arc to the story and i don't actually think the story has a very cathartic element to it <laughs> yeah because especially like i mean i don't want to i mean it's an old film but yeah like he just gets his ass beat constantly and then eventually i, I can't even remember now he just like sort of wins somehow like through hubris i'm guessing mm, i don't know and then it's just this very uninspiring ending i don't know I kind of deleted it from my mind to be honest but then when I saw yeah. 2049, you know, which was redone by Denis Villeneuve, I like that filmmaker. I like him a lot. And in some ways, I think I I, I think I like him better than Ridley Scott. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I just think he's a better filmmaker. That's probably a little bit controversial, but I do think he's a better filmmaker than Ridley Scott, as much as I think Ridley Scott is an incredible filmmaker. But I think with 2049, it, it opened up a narrative that I appreciated a lot more than the first one. Yeah, I thought the second one was, like, everyone complained about how slow it was, but I thought it was, like, just more focused on what it was trying to be, and I liked it more mm. for that reason. So with Top Gun, the original, you hated it. What, yeah, like, is, is there one thing you can pinpoint on why you hated it, or is there a, a yeah. lot of things? I just felt like for a film that has a bad storyline, it spent a lot of time on its storyline. Like it's an action film with very little actual action scenes. And it's like, it's spending a lot of time on this romance, on their interactions with each other, but they're all very surface level. Like I didn't even know where the time went. Mm -hmm. That's why I kind of hated it. Like it's like, it's a very story driven film and it's telling a really shallow story. (laughs) (laughs) And like, maybe I'm just like not plain enough because I personally don't really care about planes, but, um, in all of the dogfight scenes, it just didn't make sense, like, what was going on, oh. what the stakes were, uh, what rules they were playing by, how do you score points? Mm-hmm. Like, the points seem to be a tally that lasts, be- like, in a season or something. Because, like, you know, someone's coming first at the end, and it just, you never really knew what was going on, except for the fact that Maverick was second and Iceman was first. Yeah. And I just don't know how do you, how do you attain points? Yeah. How do you lose points? Yeah. Yeah. I-, I guess the shallow part of the story comes in a form of, there's no real stakes to this <clears throat> and the, the stakes i guess is you know that they could crash and burn and die for sure um which actually happened to one of the characters <laughs> but yeah but um there were no other stakes other than this the game that they were playing right 
Yeah, and I just didn't know how the game worked. And maybe that was, like, foolishness on my part, like, I'm supposed to know. Mm. I feel like people aren't as bothered by it as I am, but I just wondered, like, what does Maverick have to do? Because he's shooting people down, he's getting kills, Iceman's getting kills, but Iceman's coming first. Why? I, yeah. I couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think Top Gun Maverick has a lot more substance in terms of story. Um, yeah. Because so like, there's, like, real-world stakes at hand here. Because, like, I guess, spoiler alert, in my opinion on this, I like this a lot more than that first there one. There we go. Like, so I don't think we're going to have too differing of you on yeah. this. I actually enjoyed my time with this one yeah. quite a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this movie was directed by Joseph Koizinski. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of that guy. Probably haven't. Um, he uh, did Oblivion. Oh, think, my God. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm surprised I you know I only that. knew that I was super – like, okay – well, he he disappointed me in that film because I was very because I, I I love like random sci fi stuff like I think it's like probably my favorite genre. It's hit and miss a lot, mm-hmm. and just when I saw the ads for that, I got super excited right. about this. Like you had high expectations, just, like, the, the mystery of it all, and it just yeah. look it's just kind of funny. Like thinking back on it now, it is still a pretty interesting story. It's like an army of Tom Cruises. He's like the last guy. Mm-hmm. but it just it just felt like I think it could have been more. It reminds me a lot of Elysium as far as like sci-fi films that i wanted more from yep elysium yeah yeah the uh yeah, matt, with matt, damon. matt damon yeah yeah um i really liked oblivion i thought it was really oh, okay. well shot i thought um i thought tom cruise's character i don't even know the name of his character's name but i thought his character was pretty cool um enough to kind of keep you interested but there were like some kind of dull moments you know when you kind of got into the valleys of which are kind of the low points of the film where it just wasn't that interesting. I, I thought the introduction with Morgan Freeman and his people, I thought that was kind of... Like, oh, I completely forget the film. Like, it's kind of funny. Like, <laughs> I think the, the mystery was. part of it was when I was super excited, and I think like the uh, the reveal just wasn't that exciting. Yeah. I guess it's probably my main issue with it. And I can't even remember what the reveal was anymore. Yeah. So I'm talking out my ass. Mm. But the score <laughs> was awesome. I think the cinematography was always awesome, which is this is kind of how directors like... Joseph Kwiatkowski, kind of like a Christopher Nolan or even a Denis Villeneuve, their style of filmmaking is very evident by the way, that, by the use of cinematography, their color palette, their choice of focal pulls, and um, and then also musical score. So he done the same with Top Gun Maverick, actually. So very very similar style of filmmaking. He got on the same, uh, got the same uh, DOP for this. Um, mm. uh, music is done by. Lorne Balfe, never heard of that person until I looked up this person <laughs> when I was doing research uh, for the podcast. And Lorne Buff like did or done the most recent Black Adam. Oh, okay. And you were okay with that film, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, it's fun, entertaining, and that was really about it. But it's a it's a razor thin story. <laughs> like, right, we're talking about okay. shallow stories, then it, that that definitely fits under that category um but there, there were actually other music composers that collaborated with top gun maverick you had hans zimmer who helped out with the score too i don't actually i don't know if it's the score but it, like hans zimmer and let's say lady gargash they both have musical credit in this not scoring credits but they have music credit to some degree i'm not really sure how um maybe the maybe the song that uh lady gaga done for the film 
I had no idea that happened, but I did see her name credited at the start. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah, I was like, well, what was she doing this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the actors. The actors, obviously, we have Tom Cruise back as Captain Pete Maverick. Uh, Mitchell, you know, Jennifer Connelly, who's also kind of back. Now, she, she wasn't – wait, she wasn't in the first one, I don't think, but she her character is mentioned in the first one as like a yeah, love interest at school just- or something, right? Some, no, it was like someone Maverick dated when he wasn't meant That's to. Right. Like, oh, the Admiral's daughter. That's right. Like, That's yeah. Right. So she's she's playing a character called Penny Benjamin. We have newcomers Miles Teller, uh, who plays Bradley, aka Rooster Bradshaw, who is the son of Goose. Two different birds, mm. Goose and Rooster. <laughs> oh, that makes so much sense now. It does. I never thought about yeah. it. Rooster. I feel like he should have been Chick. Right, because he's you know he's sort of coming out of his shell. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe. Like some people have like I, I kind of thought that everyone got like a cool code name, and some people do not have cool Wait, code wh- names. What, what is the name? It's not a code name. It's called a call sign. That's what it's called. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What's your call sign, Tony? I don't know. It'd be like Eater or something. <laughs> <laughs> Eater. That's actually cool. You should spell it different though. Like E D E R. And it's like very, really? it's very like uh, secretive, and we're the only ones that knows what it means. <laughs> now, I don't want to steal it from the YouTube channel. Take that, that, that fan base. What's it called? You look it up online. You know, Eater. Oh, yeah. They do all those, right. uh, they do all those like uh, very cool, fun recipe, how to cook certain dishes or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I see where you're going with that. Well, what would yours be? <laughs> Uh, we get Valcom is back as Iceman. Oh, oh, oh we'll get to that. I, I, I know exactly <laughs> just from their reaction. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so he's back, and then we have another newcomer, Bashir uh, Salah Houdin. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but he plays uh, Bernie, aka Hondo Coleman. John Ham, who plays Cyclone. I'm actually just going to say the call signs here. Charles Parnell plays Warlock. Uh, Monica Barbaro plays Phoenix. Lewis Pullman plays Bob. <laughs> I love how his core sign is just Bob. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I thought there would have. I thought it might have been like a acronym or something, but it was just. Bob. It's not. They do not delve deeper into that. I kind of enjoy. I kind that. of enjoy that too. I love how it's just Bob. No questions asked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have Jay Ellis who plays Payback. Uh, Danny Ramirez who plays Fanboy. Glenn Powell plays Hangman. Uh, Jack Schumacher plays Omaha. Uh, Manny Jacinto, yep, Manny Jacinto plays Fritz. Kara Wang plays Halo. Uh, Greg Davis plays Coyote. Jake Picking plays Harvard. And then we have Raymond Lee, who plays Yale. Top Gun Maverick has a runtime of 2 hours and 11 minutes and a budget, a very sort of humble budget of $170 million. I'm actually kind of surprised that $170 million was given to this film. Considering, like, this movie was greenlit, it was red-lit, it was greenlit, it was red-lit. It was a lot of back and forth. Tom Cruise didn't really want to do it, I heard. Um, I could be wrong with that story, but it's I know that Tom Cruise kind of hesitated. And I think part of the hesitation was he just didn't feel like he was ready to revisit uh, Top Gun. Oh, why? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I didn't read into it much and I didn't watch all his interviews, but um, he just said the timing wasn't quite right when he was asked by the studio, which is Paramount. Is it Paramount? I think it's Paramount. 
Uh, mm. He said the timing just wasn't right. And then uh, when he finally got to it, um, he thought this was the right time. He found the right people to be a part of, like the right actors. Um, and I, oh, actually, now I remember. It's something to do with like the story didn't quite come to him. Um, and I think as in this, he didn't like the script, or he's like writing the story. Himself. He was writing the story. Well, in a way, like he he kind of concept conceptualized the story. You know, there was obviously wow. writers for the film, but he conceptualized it, and they were just waiting on his okay because he's actually one of the main producers for for this movie. It's, so it's oh, I was not aware of that. Yeah, he's one of the main producers, and it's pretty much his baby. And so the studio really wanted to do it, him to do it a long time ago, but he just said the story wasn't quite right. He just couldn't really put his finger on it, and then he eventually landed, um, and then went to the studio, and then they started filming, or you know, pre production started filming, and they came up with this what I would consider as one of the best movies of 2022. One of, yeah, I'd say one of. Mm. It's not my favorite, obviously. <laughs> one of. Um, so from a budget of $170 million, the box office intake was a whopping $1.4 billion. That is okay. insane. That's, that's Marvel Studios, Avatar, Titanic type record, you know? And they, yeah, they had no idea that this movie was going to have that kind of leg. Um, they did not expect it to crack billion. I mean, they were happy with just like 500 million. <laughs> yeah, like just doubling it would have been good. Doubling right? would have been fine. But they didn't expect Maverick to have this kind of impact. And I think this is really testament to the quality of the film. Um, it's a big testament. I feel to like that. the reviews, yeah, played a big part in it. Like as soon as it came out, everyone was like, this is amazing. You should go watch it. Like, that was definitely what I heard straight away. Yeah, I mean, and the hype was so strong, man. I was looking at all yeah. the tweets. I was looking at all the um, headline reviews, and people were saying it is a magnificent film. And they couldn't stop talking about the dogfight scenes. I think that was the biggest takeaway out of those first impressions. They were saying that the dogfight scenes are unreal, like draw-dropping the new technology that they had um, to film the dogfight scenes were, were really impressive. It was the first time anybody had used it. And they said Joseph Kuzinski just nailed it with the new piece of camera work technology. I can't remember exactly what the camera work tech was, but it obviously it, it looked amazing. <laughs> yeah. I remember like watching it. Because the thing is, one of my main drawbacks from the first one was that it was actually kind of hard to know what was going on in the dogfights. Yeah. Like I know the general premise of you want to get behind a guy. Yep so you can shoot him. Um, this movie did a really good job of, like, interspersing, you know, shots of the face, shots of the plane. Mm -hmm. If a guy slowed down, you kind of knew what was going on. So I, I could follow it really easily as a non-plane guy. That's right. That's right. Uh, released on 27th of May, <clears throat> and now we're in, like, almost December. <laughs> Love it. Released to Still well. Yeah, we're doing really well. <laughs> we're here all week. Uh, released 27th of May. It has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 96% for the critic rating and 99% for the audience rating. That is insane. As a very, it's, it has to be one of the highest rated films for both sides, critic and audience review of all time. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get a lot better than that. No, that's pretty hard to beat, man. <laughs> 96 and 99. <laughs> um, so the critic consensus, consensus, the critic, the critic <laughs> consensus, uh, Top Gun Maverick pulls off a, fear even trickier than a 4g inverted dive um that's for uh what's it called for for, for what do you mean g what does the g stand for again 
G's. Yeah, I guess they use it more like G's, right? How many G's? Yeah. G-Force, G-Force. That's what I'm trying to say. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like, what am I talking about? I just wanted to get past just G's. G's, yeah. Um, even trickier than a four, uh, four G-Force inverted dive, delivering a long belated sequel that surpasses its predecessor in wildly entertaining style. The audience consensus is, if you love the original and enjoy some good old old school action, you need to speed your way, your way to a screening of Top Gun Maverick. Uh, would you agree with that, those consensuses? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's actually a very good film. And I actually did love the fact that it it felt very 80s. Like, it actually pulled that through really well, in a, in a way that I didn't expect. Because, mm. like, I think John Wick tries really hard to be kind of like an 80s action film, mm-hmm. and it isn't, right? Like, you can kind of it tell just that feels it isn't. This one... <laughs> Yeah, it feels modern. Like it's it's kind of a throwback to like the old times. Like I think what the Expendables were trying to do, right? Um, whereas I think this one actually does a really good job of feeling very eighties, even though it's not. That's right. Um, so the plot goes: after thirty years, Maverick is still pushing the envelope as a top naval aviator, but must confront ghosts of his past when he leads Top Gun's elite graduates on a mission that demands the ultimate sacrifice from those chosen to fly it so much more i guess deeper perhaps a little bit more sophisticated plot compared to the first one um what were your biggest takeaways key highlights low lights low 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 lights <laughs> what is wrong with my speech today it's kind of like every podcast um, um and performances what do you think about the direction from joseph koizinski yeah, I guess, like, I'll try and be quick with this, because I know we always jump into the recap, but, mm. like, I guess, like, key highlights for me, there's a plot. Um, <laughs> it's, important, like, it's, a, it's a reasonably good plot. No, I think, like, the the tale between, like, uh, Tom Cruise's character and Miles Teller's character, who, uh, wait, Maverick and Rooster, mm-hmm. it's actually a pretty engaging storyline. Um, they don't go too hard on the romance stuff, but what they do put in actually makes sense, and you kind of, like, buy into it helps flesh out like all the characters um dogfight scenes fantastic it's very easy to follow the plot and i think like the this concept of like we're not just generically training you to win a competition we're actually training you for a mission um gives it a lot of gravitas that the first movie didn't really have as far as lowlights there wasn't a whole lot i think um i mean someone might probably if they want to be nitpicky might get like sort of like they might say oh it's just retreading old water a lot like there's like a piano singing scene of everyone having fun and there is a shirtless sports scene where everyone has fun together and then um a lot of that kind of stuff but i think it's fine the biggest issue i think for me was that there are so many supplementary characters that they don't really shed a lot of light on um sort of just who they are and and how they are like the main bad guy is kind of, like, generically evil, but kind of not. Like, you just, you just don't delve into him at all. And you don't really delve into any of the other characters very much. And they could have cut probably half of them and been fine. That was the main issue. Uh, performances and direction, I think, you know, they're all fine. Just fine? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I've never been good at sort of commenting on direction. I think you're definitely more of the um, director sort of critique in of, of the two of us. It's, it's I think performances, I mean... Man. <laughs> yeah, you're the one who knows what you're doing, right? I'm just like, oh yeah, movie looks good. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I just try. I just like kind of make it up half the time. But what do you think? So I think the biggest highlight is the movie. 
<laughs> that movie's the biggest highlight. No, I I man, loved it, man. Too positive. Yeah. I really, really, really love this movie. It's hard for me to think about what I didn't like it. And I've seen it twice now. Um, I don't think the third time seeing it counts because I watched it vicariously through a bunch of YouTubers reacting to the whole film. <laughs> oh, right, um, yeah. So I don't think that really counts, but it's... Uh, yeah, I, I really, really love this movie. I think um, everyone from Tom Cruise to even Val Kilmer, like Val Kilmer wasn't on screen for a lot of the time. The only time he's on screen is maybe five minutes. Yeah. But I feel like he's one of the more key characters um, compared to everybody else because you just felt his presence throughout the entire film. Like that's, that's huge. That's powerful. That's, that's actually very testament to the director, to the vision of Joseph Koizinski that he wanted to make sure that Iceman wasn't really left out, um, you know, because of the whole reason why they couldn't have him be a part of the film because of his cancer with his throat. Um, but they managed to handle that so well that he was kind of like this looming spirit in the entire film um, mm. and had huge impact because that impact affected uh, Maverick. It affected um, the way Maverick uh, dealt with such hard and challenging situations, you know, that, that sort of awkwardness and rift between him and Rooster. Mm. Um, it was just really, really well handled. I thought all the characters were contributing so well to the film. No one was really wasted. Um, all the newbies, you know, all the youngsters that are coming into Top Gun, I thought, I thought all of them were just great. Like they all played a part. My only criticism about having such a large cast, and this is just very difficult for any film to handle, um, given if if you're going to have a limited runtime, it's hard to actually have more background stories of these characters when you have so many characters. Um, and maybe that's not the point, but I think the film could have benefited by tapping in a little bit to their background. You don't have to, you don't have to create this enormous character arc for each character, but at least, you know, show us like, show us like where they're coming from or something, you know, give us a little bit mm. of background. You know, we get introduced to all the, uh, let's say students that go into Top Gun. We get introduced to them by all of them just converging at the bar and that's about it it would have been cool yeah that first scene right and that first scene yeah it would have been yeah, just cause... a nice idea to go to go into let's say um uh hondo and like we're watching where hondo is coming from like maybe it's from school maybe it's from like uh playing soccer or something you know you know what i mean like there's we're adding context to these characters it's just kind of tapping in a little bit so that there's a little bit more characterization yeah, I agree with that. Like, I, I wouldn't have picked Hondo. I would have picked like probably Phoenix. Like, the, oh the, yeah, I mean, I was just using it as an example. It's just like, yeah. it, like because none of the characters, we we don't know anything about them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. I, like, I don't think you need to go through all of them, but yeah. I think like Phoenix and Hangman yep. should have easily gotten like some sort yep. of arc, yep. and that was yep. kind of a, a missed shot for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it just would have been nice to to have some kind of relational aspect to those characters but i mean it's not a huge criticism I, I know that the film is very much centered on the relationship between maverick iceman and rooster primarily maverick and rooster but iceman's kind of a part of that conversation because that's iceman pretty much helps him and inspires him to jump that hurdle so it's really good performances yeah everyone was great um i was actually surprised by jennifer Connolly's performance not that i think she's a bad actor i just don't 
she's not a memorable actress to me. You know, she doesn't, when people say, oh, who are, name 10 actresses who are really amazing. I wouldn't really put Jennifer Connelly in the fray. Um, but I think she, she just kind of held it down really well. She was mature. She, she has a sense of like baggage-ish, you know, from like not having a successful relationship, being a single mother, but also just knowing that she's kind of got it. I think she just holds that character really well. Maybe it's just natural for her. I don't know, but um, mm. I thought she was quite good. Yeah, I didn't even think about her, but she does a very good, like she looks amazing, um, mm. to be honest. But yeah, like she does a really good job with. Um, I think like she sort of has that like sort of immatureness to her as well. Like when she's got like Maverick over at her place, it kind of implies like I guess I got a sense from that scene that like oh yeah, they, these two would be very good together because she seems similar to him in that way. <laughs> Which I don't know. Maybe I should bring that up during the the, the recap. Yeah, but like you're right about the immature sort of playful nature. I, I like it. She's not wooden. She's not kind of like an ABC type character, but she has some flair. She has some like yeah, you know, like. In that first movie, when he gets together with the instructor, like, it, it, it's probably one of the reasons why I didn't like it. Like, that romance felt so forced. Like, he was interested in her, and, because I think she's, like, she's the only hot woman on, on the, the base, I guess. And I just never understood why she fell for him. Like, he's just good at, he's, he's just good at flying, so she falls for him. Like, it just never made sense to me, and I really hated that. Whereas in this film, um, she actually seems like a good fit for him. And they have that sort of that unspoken history behind them as well. Yeah, there's good reasons behind their relationship. It's it's a very, it's a nice natural uh, connection that they build. Um, yeah, definitely an improvement from the first one. <laughs> yeah. Shall we get in to Zari Cap? Let's do it, man. Whoa. Actually, I don't like that one. I like this one here. Yeah, I think that one, second one is way better. Yeah, that's the Christopher Nolan transition. Ooh. No, I just made it. I mean, it just sounds like a Christopher Nolan thing to do. <laughs> because it's loud? Loud, and it's got that bass. <laughs> like, um, for the listener, if it's your first time here, this is the biggest part of the episode, even though we're like 34 minutes in. But it's the biggest part of the episode. And uh, we recap the entire film. We break it down into the classic three-act structure that Tony... Um, is apparently not aware that it applies to every single film. <laughs> I, I'm terrible with movies, everybody. Um, we break it down into those three acts and we walk through those acts, which is the plot, and we just sort of insert what we think about those those aspects and uh, we dive deep into the weeds of the film. It's a good chance for us to think about whether we actually enjoyed certain parts and rethink and restructure our opinions because we might change them just by going through the recap. And this, this happens quite often. Um, and that's the benefit of having a recap. So why don't we get started? All right. So starting from the beginning, act one, over 30 years after graduating from Top Gun, United States Navy captain, Pete Maverick, a.k.a. Tom Cruise. I probably should have said Tom Cruise, a.k.a. Maverick, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes both ways, right? Yeah, works ways. Um, he's a test pilot. Despite Maverick's many distinguished achievements, repeated insubordination has kept him from flag rank. What is flag rank? Do you remember? Nah, I got no idea. I think it's high. I, I, didn't, I didn't even know Captain was a crappy rank. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I had to I learn thought, that from the movie. Yeah, I thought that's like a legit rank, Captain, but... I guess we just 
use the definition of captain from soccer, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the top one, right? But yep. it sounds like a shitty rank, I suppose. Yeah, apparently. His friend and former Top Gun rival, Admiral Tom, a.k.a. Iceman, is commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet and often protects Maverick from being grounded. Um, the Rear Admiral Chester Hammer... Kane plans to shut down Maverick's hypersonic dark star. <laughs> Scrammed. There's like so many of these big words here. Jeez. It's a lot of big uh, words. Uh, program in favor of funding drones. To save the program from cancellation, Maverick changes the flight plan in the upcoming test from the Mark 9 to Mark 10 to meet the program's contract specification. However, the prototype is destroyed when Maverick pushes beyond Mark 10. Iceman again saves Maverick's career by sending him to NAS North Island for his next assignment. But Hammer warns Maverick that the era of crude fighter aircraft will soon end. So this is the whole introduction. Um, to mm. film. I think it's about 15 minutes, this, this part. Probably a little bit more. Feels like yeah, it, yeah. Something like that. Could be a bit more. Yeah, 15, 20 minutes. <clears throat> What do you think about this opening scene? Because I have lots to say about, especially the really cool plane rocket thing. <laughs> yeah, like I really like this scene because one thing that I really, really enjoyed about this whole film is that uh, I hate the trope of you know when they do a um, like a, a long time sequel of a film, mm-hmm. and they will always like you know if a guy finishes the first movie on top. They have to try and find a way to humble him before the the second movie starts because right. you don't want to see someone at the top just be at the top, yeah. right? And it's usually like sort of out of left field, mm-hmm. um, the way that their 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 life is terrible. Mm. And this movie just did a really good job of, you know, Maverick. You'd expect he would go on to just become like do great things, and he doesn't in this film. But you kind of like get it. it it's not like completely out of left field the fact that like he just pisses off all his bosses and gets like pushed around everyone respects his talents as a flyer but he still can't progress i thought that was like a very cool thing because it allowed us to still be invested in his journey he's not like right at the top so we hate him um but we can still acknowledge that he's brilliant i really enjoyed that um and like this, this whole mission i feel like just kind of is i'm not sure if we want to call it a mission but this whole scene is just based around in my opinion like him pushing things with his skills too far and like kind of screwing things up, which you can just kind of infer he's probably done for his entire life. So like the whole setup of this movie makes sense. Um, I don't think you really learn about Iceman saving him until like right at the end of this film. And I kind of like that because that was a cool introduction to Iceman because then you learn in that scene that Iceman is a big deal. And like, I enjoyed that personally because I was always pro Iceman in the first film. I didn't actually like Maverick. Because Iceman is a great pilot who follows the rules, keeps everyone safe, whereas um, Maverick is essentially the hangman of this mm. film, right? He's like this guy who's brilliant at what he does but doesn't give a crap about anybody else, and the idea that the guy who follows the rules turns into a big deal um, and Maverick just kind of sucks was like, oh, yeah, you know what? That actually plays out in a way that's logical. But from, like a, I guess, a visual point of view, you know, it's cool watching the plane go really fast. It's crazy. <laughs> it's really crazy. Uh, I really like, do. You remember the name of that plane? Like, other than called Mark Nine and Ten, and there's a Dark Star, right? The, is the name of the plane? I thought. Oh, Dark Star. Is that the real name in real life? Oh, I don't know nothing about planes, dude. Like, um, yeah, what a wicked plane! What a wicked way to uh, open the film, though. Um, 
You're right. Everything you're saying is is completely on point. It's a classic way to introduce a character that you can then connect to throughout the entire film from the beginning, which is you bring him down, you bring him down to his knees, you break the character down, and then the whole movie is, or the whole, the rest of the film, his arc is about redemption. Um, and it's redeeming mm. his past in two ways. One, which is the death of his friend Rooster. Oh, sorry, not Rooster. Goose. Goose. <laughs> the other, the other, other the bird. Other bird. <laughs> um, redeeming that and sort of patching that up. And then, I mean, I guess you could say that that was the main character arc and journey for him um, to overcome that mountain. And then the second part is also just um, reliving his his kind of destiny or purpose as Maverick. So um, both of those things had to work in tandem with each other for the character to be super, super in, um, invested or for us to be invested in the character. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was, it was awesome. Um, and I do like the fact that they mentioned Iceman, but you're right. Like I like how he's just this figure that it's a faceless figure for people who had never seen the first film would have no idea what kind of impact he had in the, in the first one and let alone what impact he would have in the second one. But then even for me, or well, for us, like I, I wasn't expecting to have Iceman in the film as much as he is. Like what I was saying before, right. with his presence, he doesn't have to be on the screen all the time, but his presence, just the smart choice of the text messages. And you notice, yeah. you notice the text messages, the way it's shot, it's a very intimate camera angle. It wouldn't have worked if the camera didn't deliberately show him or show or give us the POV, POV. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean by POV, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I think most people know POV. Yeah, do I have to explain it? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a movie podcast. I reckon if they don't know, they don't know. they're going to go online. You need to be more internet. <laughs> um, yeah, the POV of the camera, it's deliberately an extreme close-up because it's supposed to give us that intimacy. The best way of conveying that, right, if we cannot really have that much intimacy in person with Iceman because of Valcom's real-life situation. So it was so clever. Like, we would get... A, a long sort of wide shot reaction of him texting and then we'll jump to the extreme close-up of the text and i just love you know the speech bubbles i'm um, waiting for the text to come up that's very familiar with a lot of people who are waiting for a text to show up if you get left on yeah I, I like the f- <laughs> the fact that <laughs> i like the fact that like um when, when you first hear about iceman you it, I, I kind of had the sense that like he was like this sort of you know, guardian, like they actually call him his guardian angel. Mm. And like, it was like this guy, like they're not super close anymore, but like he kind of helps him from afar yep. type of thing. Cause he respects him so much. And I thought that was their relationship. Yep. But then when you look at those text messages, you can tell that they are people that likely talk very often. Yep. Yep. And you just got a sense of that straight away. And I thought this film does this really well where they um, share information in very efficient ways. Yep. yep. Yeah. I think the, yeah. the delivery of information from the director was very, very efficient. The whole story is a very efficient story. It doesn't actually waste anything. I think the screen time of two hours and 11 minutes was really, really tight. Yeah. Like, this is like the exact opposite of Rings of Power. Like, <laughs> like what's that play? What's that? <laughs> I just feel like, you know, um, heard of that before. yeah, like every conversation just either gives background to a character or explains something that happened in the past or pushes things forward. So I really mm. quite enjoyed that part of this film. Yes, sir. Um, what was I going to say about the opening? Oh, yeah. We have to talk about the 
just the the our first impression of the flight or um not the flight but yeah the the way that he shoots the flying sequences um in this opening scene with the uh star star mac star mark star what's it called dark star, dark star. <laughs> yeah for <laughs> the dark star just just the we get our first glimpse into what the dogfights would be like and all the camera work and man it is riveting um one of my favorite shots in this is when it does a super super wide shot from space oh with in a circle and circling i'm like whoa that is a delicious yeah, shot that, cool. that is a very delicious shot kind of reminded me of like man of steel or something when you see superman flying around the globe but Oh, Except yeah. I would say that the cinematography is just way, way better than, than Man of Steel. Um, so that shot was just beautiful. It's probably one of my favorite shots of the film. Um, and then we sort of jump into the cockpit with him. And the just the pressure, like feeling the pressure being in that cockpit, like I felt like I was in that cockpit. Like I don't know what kind of sorcery um, powers they use to film like this. And in some ways, I don't really want to look at the behind the scenes to know how it is because I think what I love about cinema is that there's this magic to cinema and there's just things I prefer not to know because it might take a little bit of that magic away. So, yeah, I just thought it was awesome the way it was uh, It was our first impression of like how the rest of the jets were going to be shot. It's awesome. No, it's cool. F-14 uh, Tomcat. Sorry. <laughs> is that the plane? No, this is uh, the next part of the, the recap. <laughs> um, so the the Navy has been tasked with destroying an unsanctioned uranium enrichment plant, which is an underground bunker at the end of the canyon. It is defended by SA-3 GOA surface-to-air missiles. Jeez. It's, a, it's short for... No, not short for... I mean, the... the the short version is called Sam's. <laughs> right, yes. Um, yeah. Seen those in video games. Exactly. Really? I mean, yeah. Oh. They, they reference them. Okay. I thought you were just trying to be funny and like, oh, yeah, I know those things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, GPS jammers and what appear to be fifth generation Suko SU 57C fighters, as well as previous generation F 14 Tomcats. Um, Maverick devises a plan to attack with two pairs of FA-18E and FA Super Hornets. Oh, I don't even remember the Super Hornets being mentioned. I, I just thought it was just F-18s. It's kind of funny, yeah. I, they mentioned like F-18 in a derogatory sense, whereas the word Super Hornet sounds cool as hell. Wait, what do you mean? Oh, they're always just like... Oh, you know, to do all this stuff, you have to use an F eighteen. It's like F eighteens against fifth generation fighters. We're going to get killed, and it's like, oh, oh, well, know. yeah. I mean, it's it's like, I mean, it's it's like uh, trying to take a knife to a gunfight kind of thing. I think that's what they're implying. Yeah, um, but I don't, I don't remember them mentioning F super haunted uh, hornets. Who was flying? No, no, no that's the, the hornets. The- I mean, no, F-18 is what they're all flying, I guess, right? They're all flying F-18s, but... Oh, but, kind oh of sorry, I, are you saying that they're all Super Hornets? Is that what it is? That's what I think so, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I just thought they were called f Yeah, well, the thing that's interesting, in the film, like, I kind of thought that, like, they didn't really have names, because they, they call the fifth-generation fighters, like, oh, they're fifth-generation planes, yep. and they call the F-18 the F-18. Mm. So I appreciated that as a non-plane guy, because I didn't want to get bogged down in that kind of... Yep. 
a terminology. Yeah, there's, it's it's yeah. pointless. It, it wouldn't serve anything um, beyond that. I mean, but the plain people would have loved it. I reckon. Sure. I mean, it's enough for them to just know that they've given it the proper names. I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, they know what an F-18 is. They're satiated, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, he learns that he will not take part in the strike. Instead, he is to train an elite group of Top Gun graduates assembled by Air Boss Vice Admiral Bo Cyclone Simpson. By the way, I want to quickly mention, and um, we we're probably going to talk a lot more about him, but I, John Hamm, as like the super dickhead admiral, he was perfect. He was crystal perfect as that kind of dickhead kind of dictator admiral kind of guy it's kind of interesting john ham like i always assumed he was like oh he's just attractive but you know what like him in this he's really good in this he's great in bridesmaids he's great he's great in, in bridesmaids, yeah. third rock from oh, not the third rock uh, 30 rock he's great in that oh, he's in that like i think i yeah he's like one of uh liz liz's terrible boyfriends <laughs> But um, no, he, he does like a great job in pretty much everything I've seen him in. So maybe I should respect him a whole lot more. Yeah, he, unfortunately, he's got that kind of douchebag face to him. Unfortunately, I, I think it's because he, or at least for me, I knew him because of, uh, well, I knew of him because of uh, what's that TV show that he's famous for? Mad 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 Men. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I want to, but I, I, I haven't seen it. Around to it. it. I've just seen like shorts for it, you know, and. I guess that's what most people like myself know him for. And he just, I think he just has a douchebag like vibe to him. And I think that's what his character is like in um, Mad Men. The thing I like about this movie is that he doesn't come across as an actual douchebag. He comes across as like Iceman's protege in a way. Like he just does not respect Maverick at all. Um, At the end of the film, when he does like sort of a questionable human order, you get the sense that he's doing it out of preservation of life. Like, there's no actual villains in this movie, which I really did appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I think that his, whatever his kind of dickhead, douchebag uh, persona is, it's not so much like that. It's not like dickbag with a capital D. It's more justified douchebag. He has a job. Yeah, like... He's he's very clinical with it. Um, he respects his job, and he's not going to... He's not going to compromise in any shape or fashion. But he does have a smudge of compromise which is kind of that human element that comes through the character, which I loved about that character. Yeah, like, like I think in these types of films, there's like a trope of the authority figure being like just unreasonably strict or someone who like he's just kind of an asshole to the main character for no particular reason. And that doesn't like, you know, Cyclone is not like that. He's just a guy who is just trying to do the best job he can. Um, and you sort of get that sense the entire time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think he's actually one of the, best stands out best stands up he's one of the best uh stand-up performances i think i think it was really good yeah like i enjoyed that like you sort of get that every time you see something you see his begrudging acceptance of it mm, mm. um so act two i guess we're at act two yeah actually i guess on so, one oh, oh, oh one, I, we should probably talk about wait what are you gonna say uh i mean what's your thing i was gonna talk about the bar scene <laughs> Did that happen already? Uh, well, we've, we've oh, it did. Yeah, it did yeah, happen yeah. already. We've kind of like spoke about uh, the first thirty minutes of the film already, but we haven't actually spoken about the important—well, not important, but one of the important scenes, in my opinion, which is the bar scene. Yeah. Okay. Go. Go for it. Um, yeah, the bar scene was great. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Uh, I, the, so, so the bar scene actually 
this was the first time that I realized that this movie's going to have feels, you know? Right. I, when I, he gets kicked he out, he gets kicked out. He sees uh, Rooster playing the piano, like how his dad mm. played the piano. Um, I just thought, like, as soon as that scene started, when he's sort of staring into the, like, through the window, I just thought, oh, okay, he's just going to have a little bit of a moment. But then Joseph Kozinski decides to do a flashback, very tasteful flashback, you know, and then he, and then he slowly dials down the musical score. You know, so sort of mutes that he mutes out or fades out the the noise that we the see, actual the actual singing and stuff, and then the mm. score comes in um, with that beautiful kind of cello. No, not cello. I don't know, just beautiful violins or whatever. <laughs> it's sl- sad, 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 sad music. You know, sad music. Yeah. So it's all kind of like fades in, and then he, the flashback is happening, and he's having a moment. Like his, I mean, I, I, I got to say this about Tom Cruise, his performance in this film. Probably one of the best performances I've ever seen him done. Yeah, it's that's actually fair to say. Pretty, it's pretty amazing. That's quite. That's actually, in my opinion, that's like a lot coming from someone like me who highly regards Tom Cruise, and I think a lot of his films he's just amazing and he's really really good at it. And a lot of people like to like criticize him for saying, "Oh, he's just Tom Cruise." Like, yeah, but like he's good at what he does. Like. <laughs> What's the big deal? Um, but I think in this, like, well, I saw an emotional depth to the to Tom Cruise mm. that I've never ever seen in a film, and it's almost like he was method acting, right? Uh, he never method acts. I'm pretty sure he's on record saying to say that he doesn't do method acting. But I just feel like this character, he was in a. I don't want to. It's going to sound cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. He was like born to play this character. He's lived it for so long, you know. And this movie means so much to him. This franchise means so much to him. And his first reaction to that whole scene, I was like, oh, my God, this movie is actually going to have lots of feels. And I'm I'm not prepared for this. I feel disarmed. Oh, really? I, I feel really disarmed. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> it just kind of we'll, – we'll get into the other emotional parts and I'll talk more about that. But, yeah, it, it was just so poignant, this moment. I just thought, Wow. They're going to take us there. Pretty impressed. Yeah, like, I I had a similar view to you in the sense that, like, it seemed like a very lighthearted film. You know, you got that, like, that shot of him walking into Top Gun and it's, like, looking down at the, the logo. It just sort of feels like, again, like an 80s film. Mm. And then the interesting thing is that um, he gets kind of, I guess... When he gets, like, it's kind of like a light film. Like, you know, everyone's doing all this, like... Um, hanging out and you get a lot of information from all of the characters where like you learn a lot about all the characters just from the, the, the interactions with each other right and i think that's kind of a really cool way of showing that information but then when he gets kicked out and he's kind of holding it together really well he sees rooster and he's like sort of having some reaction to that but he's like holding it together really well and then you see the depth of emotion on his face when he actually sees rooster doing the exact same thing goose did and i think it was kind of cool when you see these people having a really happy time, but you're feeling the sadness that Tom feels. Like, that contrast is really, really strong. And then when you see Jennifer Connelly's character look at him and she sees the way that he's responding yeah, to it, that's right. um, she's like a, a stand-in for the audience, right? Because if you don't know how to feel in response to what Tom is feeling, you can just see the way that she reacts and go, oh, I should feel the way that she does. And I think the cool thing about this particular film also is the fact that like, you don't, um, I guess, 
like Penny, like Jennifer Connelly's character. I'm just going to use actor names now. <laughs> Jennifer Connelly's character clearly has had like a number of histories with Tom Cruise's character. And I would have previously said, well, why does she give him a chance again? You know, like, you know, she knows it doesn't work out. She knows he's terrible. But I think this is a really good example as to why um, she considers giving him another chance. Because she probably sees him as, as more than what he was before when she sees him react that way. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. You're totally right. Yeah, I actually forgot about that moment. You're, I'm so glad you brought it up. Where it's got Jennifer <laughs> Connelly's reaction as well. It's just, it's perfect. It's perfectly directed that whole scene, and it sets the tone for all the emotional tones that we are gonna experience in the film. So, yeah, really, really big stuff. Um, dude, we we have to actually talk about this as well. We're gonna go back. Like, we're not really doing this in like a linear form anymore. But we have to. Ah, uh, people have seen the movie. We we have to go back to the very opening on this. I cannot believe I totally forgot about this. Like, we should really talk about the opening. The opening is exactly the, it's like the perfect homage to Top Gun, the first one. Oh, it was just the planes flying around? Yeah, with, I mean, with the logo coming up and the and the song coming in. What's the name of the song? Damn it. What's the name of the song? Danger Zone. No, 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 no. That's, no it is, isn't it? Yeah, that is one of the songs. That's like the theme song, yes. But then I'm talking about the, you know, the... You're making noises, man. I'm just making noises. When it goes... Is that how it goes? anyway it's the same song from the first film (laughs) but and and like it starts off kind of like a somber i don't know like it's like a bell you're talking about like the sun the sunrisey or sunsetty scene and you see like the like the crew people working with planes that's that's the the real top gun like a theme theme song um the uh, danger zone one is there's like the I don't know the the pop song that came with the film. I I think there is a little bit of pop like danger zone instrumental at that starting sequence though. Unless I'm, I'm no 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 it's not it's not at the start it's it's later on I think I think it's when he's on the motorbike and then it comes in right yeah, yeah. but the but it starts off the same way that the original film started off as well which is that beautiful song and then it's just everything is just eighties and you're right like it's eighties. But modern filming techniques, like he yeah, just nailed just the, he nailed the tone. It. He nailed the eighties tone. Like it was just yeah, it's, it's uncanny. I don't, I don't know how he done it. This is the thing. Like, it probably wouldn't be so special if we didn't have like the John Wicks and Expendables of the world. Like you see films that are clearly trying to evoke that same feeling, and they they miss the mark in in some ways. So when he hits it so so well in this one, I'm like, oh okay, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Yeah, anyway, I had to mention that because I think the opening was just awesome. It, it really drove it home, made me feel like I was back with that Top Gun experience because I don't have the same feeling as you with the first Top Gun. I think the first Top Gun is really cool. I don't think it's anywhere near as good as this movie. <laughs> um, and that's just, I mean, that's a great thing. That's a positive thing that you have the sequel be better than the first. That, that's kind of what you hope for, right? Yeah, it, it's rare it's and rare. I appreciate it every time it happens, especially for a reboot. Oh, not a reboot. It's a sequel, but like it's know, kind of a reboot in a way. A, a thirty-year-later sequel, yeah. like they're pretty rare, right? Yep. For them to be better is like because you've got so many things to compare it to. Coming to America, um, mm. technically Star Wars, Matrix Resurrection. Well, Blade, like, I guess like, you know, Blade is a kind of a reboot sequel type thing with Blade Twenty Forty Nine. 
Oh, Blade Runner. Okay. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, Blade Runner. <laughs> Blade was getting a sequel. I'm like, holy shit, really? Oh, um, Blade is getting a re- reboot as well. You know, oh, with Marvel shit, Studios. really? Yeah. No, I wasn't aware of that. That's cool. What? Um, man, you know I don't keep up with Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yes. Anyway, yeah. Uh, awesome. Awesome opening scene. Okay, so uh, Act 2. Maverick out dogfights his skeptical students to win their respect. Um, oh, we actually just jumped a whole part of the film. <laughs> um, no, not, not really. really. No, I don't not think really, so. Right? Like, okay, so so in that whole bar sequence, like he he meets he he doesn't meet everybody, but he kind of meets people. People familiar with him, they know. They, they, no, they don't know no, who no, he no, is no. in what, the bar. Sorry, what I mean is like they recognize who he is by the time he comes in to address them as their tutor. Yeah, and they're embarrassed, they're right, embarrassed, which I thought was kind of It cool. was really cool. It was really tasteful. Like, everything in this it movie was, was really tasteful, actually. Well, the thing is, it's cool is that it's, like, like, I don't know if you take points away or you add points on. I personally add points on to these kind of things because I enjoy them. But it's, you know, a throwback to the first film. Yep. yep. Like, they're reacting the same way Tom Cruise did when he sees that that girl, yep. uh, whose name escapes me, is um, his instructor. That's it. That's it. Yep. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Maverick out uh, out dogfights his skeptical students to win their respect. Lieutenants Jake Hangman, uh, Saracen, and Bradley Rooster Bradshaw, son of Maverick's late best friend and Rio Nick, aka Goose Bradshaw, clash. Rooster dislikes uh, Hangman's cavalier attitude, while Hangman criticizes Rooster's cautious flying. Maverick reunites the form, uh, with former girlfriend Penny Benjamin, to whom he reveals that Rooster's mother made him propose before she died. That Rooster oh, promises. Oh, sorry, prom- <laughs> propose <laughs> made him promise. Sorry, <laughs> before she died, that Rooster would not become a pilot. Uh, Rooster, unaware of the promise, angrily resents Maverick for impeding his military career and blames him for his father's death. Okay, so. Um, We've already sort of passed the whole scene where he addresses all the students and says, that, well, I'm going to be your, your tutor. What we should probably mention is his surprise, like um, that he doesn't realize that he's signing up to be a tutor and he doesn't really want to be a tutor. He wants to be uh, a dog a dog fighter. <laughs> like a pilot, yeah. A pilot dog fighter. I think we did mention a little, a little bit before, but there's, there's quite a lot to kind of dig deep in that in that part of his character because – it disarms him even more, right? Because he's already been sort of brought down a notch as a character. And then he's brought down even more to another humbling position where he cannot be a Top Gun uh, pilot anymore. He has to be a tutor. And he kind of has to do this to get in the good books uh, with the Navy again. So um, when he does end up being the, you know, the let's say the practical tutor um, who actually goes out and does the work and shows them what it, uh, how it is and what the standards are. This is our first uh, exposure to the dogfight scenes as well, which is pretty awesome with all the the flying and stuff. I had like such high expectations of how the dogfight sequences were because of how much hype um, was behind it. You know, everybody talking it up so much. I was like, I had really high expectations, and even just this uh, the training part with the dogfight scenes was just brilliant. Like I was happy by the time we got to the end of the training sequence, I was like, "Oh man, I'm I'm actually happy with what I got. I'm happy for the movie to end." <laughs> oh, <laughs> not, not for story's sake, but just because the dogfight scene was just really, really cool. I love how he goes upside down on top of uh, Hangman. Oh, is it on top of Hangman? No, on, on Rooster. Uh, Rooster. Yeah, goes upside down, 
And then what does he say to him? I can't even Cause, remember. Like, because they're kind of like arguing, right? Rooster and uh, Hangman and Hangman. It's like I'm like I'm. It's like where is he? Where like, is I'm he? Here yeah. or something? I've, yeah, I'm, I'm like yeah. above you guys, or whatever. He's like, are you ready to go? And then they do kind of a spiral in the air. I'm like, Whoa. yeah, like a death spiral. That's crazy. I kind of like. I, I thought this was actually cool. Again, like I'm not a plane guy, and I didn't expect to actually enjoy the dogfight scenes because I didn't enjoy them in the first movie. Um, but yeah, it, it's actually. I think this movie's done really well in the sense that. Um, you know what's going on. You've got this whole push-up thing, and that adds a lot of, like, I think... How many push-ups was it? Checkpoints? It was, like, uh, 200. 200. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I just think that it does a... Again, it's a very efficient way of conveying information. You you see, um, you know, Maverick say, kill, 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 kill. You see them all doing push-ups and being very, very upset about yeah. it. You see some people bragging, and then they're the ones doing push-ups. Yeah. Like, really good just, editing choices with uh, yeah. all of them sort of uh, getting punished and reaping the... Um, the punishment, you're seeing them do the, the push-ups, but we don't see them do all the push-ups, but it's just, it conveys the idea that they've been doing push-ups for a very, very long time. Yeah, I, I enjoyed, like, that whole thing. Like, it was done very, very well. And the thing that was cool was, like, you know, you have that thing where, like, he's old and no one respects him, mm-hmm. which is weird, right? Because he's got, like, such a distinguished, um, like, I don't know, dossier? I'm not sure what you call it. Like, dossier. stuff he's done in the past. <laughs> I don't know, like resume, resume, yeah, that's it. And like they're all like crap talking to him, and he just has to sort of beat them in order to show that he's. Actually well, good. I mean, like you know, he was a bit of a badass though, right? Like he was, he was a bit of a naughty kid, and top gun, yeah. So he wasn't, it's he wasn't highly respected in, in like the upper echelon of ranks. You know, they all respected him only because he was really good at it, but not because of who he was, really. <laughs> So, so one thing I don't really like about this aspect of this film, and I'm actually not sure if I dislike it. I'm going to mention it, and I'm going to form my opinion as I talk, which is something I do a lot. Um, the thing I didn't really care for is that, like, so he's this guy who's brilliant at dogfighting. He's a brilliant flyer, but he's not good at anything else, and that sort of impacted his ability to sort of get ahead. And um, Iceman sort of puts him up for this job as a teacher. And, like, you can sort of see it as sort of two different things, potentially. Either he wants him to say, like, you know, the Navy needs you in some other capacity, and you can, like, sort of do more by, by being a teacher. Or maybe, as a theory, maybe he's just using his powers to try and, like, fix Maverick by making him get closure with, with Rooster. Like, if it's the second one, then this whole thing makes sense, Right. And I have nothing more to say about it. But if it's the first one, the thing I dislike about this film, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, we'll come back though. We're not doing this linear, so it doesn't matter. Um, is the fact that, like, if Iceman is saying, okay, you have more to, something more to offer the Navy than just your flying skills, he gets through all of his obstacles by just being really good at flying a plane in this film. Like, I think it's the every second, set for sure. Like, it's, it's so obvious to me that it's, it's more about the second. It, it is a little bit about the uh the former um a little bit like that but i think it's it's really founded in the fact that he has to he has to um have some kind of reconciliation he does say it's time to let go in that conversation they have together so maybe it is more about the second one in which case my that that was not anything yeah that, that, that was like such an obvious part or message that iceman wanted to give him was you need to give up you need to let go yeah, I just wanted, like, a bit more of his growth to be, like, as a teacher, whereas, like, the obstacles he faces in this film, he overcomes them with, with dogfighting ability, essentially. Well, flying well ability. I don't, yeah, sure. I, I don't actually think it's anything to do with 
like this, I don't think this movie, or at least like uh, Joseph Kwasinski's vision was to focus on him being a tutor. I think the tutor was just a vehicle yeah. uh, for the character to go through that journey that is eventually going to bring reconciliation to him. Hmm. I see what you're saying. I think like I just I would have liked to see that evolution. I suppose, but anyway, you want him it. to like become a principal or something? Is, is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like like because like the thing is he actually is quite a good tutor like he, he is, he and, is. That's, and, and also, that's what surprises him as well like it's it's part of his growth uh, as a character like it's uh he was surprised at how much he was doing as a tutor and that's the thing that's interesting to me because like he actually says like oh 30 years ago i tried to be a tutor and i lasted two months and i got fired and i'm like what did you do back then because you're reasonable at it now so well, I guess, I guess anyway. like a lot of people change over thirty years. <laughs> he does throw away the book like right at the start, and then the the John Ham character's like, "Oh, he's like, oh, we made the wrong <laughs> wrong choice." I mean, he was he, <laughs> he was, didn't even make that. Yeah, he didn't right. make the choice, and he was actually against that choice as well. Um, um, so where we were at angrily resents Maverick for impeding his military career and blames him for his father's death. Actually, that's quite important to to note as well, is um, when he does blame him for his father's death, Maverick doesn't even try and argue it. Yeah. I do like the fact that it's like consistent storytelling in the sense that, you know, he is haunted by it and you think he'll just get over it straight away and he doesn't. And if you sort of infer that his guilt for um, his father's death has caused him to kind of stagnate in his career. Like that's a, you know, probably an accurate assumption. For sure. And, you know, it just makes sense for the character. Um, one thing I didn't really get is if he kind of ruined his relationship with Rooster by, you know, throwing away his papers and causing him to be late. Um, I'm surprised he kind of like, he let him become a pilot anyway, I suppose. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he, if it's a promise to his best friend's dead wife, I thought he would try harder to not let him be a pilot. But I know storyline-wise, you don't want to deal with that. Yeah, man. What are you killing the story vibes for? <laughs> yeah, no. It makes sense, but logically. I always have to nitpick these things, but it's fine. It makes sense. It's, it's funny because I actually used to do this kind of stuff with film. Is that I used to go so far into the analysis of a film where eventually you're going to you're going to render yourself to zero. <laughs> yeah. Because film I, is, is, you know, film is a piece of fiction, really. Film is sort of based yeah. on loose understandings of how we live and operate our world. And and if you go further enough, you're eventually going to get to a point where you're like, oh, yeah, none of it makes sense. Because <laughs> Yeah, I get film, that. I, I, I guess. He has to be good at flying a plane or else the whole movie falls apart. Like, I thought I get that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. Uh, I was going to say something else about uh, his, his father's death. No, um, I just think that that's a very powerful moment in the film where he owns and is like he's reminded and he's he has to own the fact that he is potentially, you know, the cause of his father's death. Um, yeah, he, he blames himself for that for sure. And one thing that's kind of something I did like about this movie is that you know when he tells uh, Penny, you know his mother asked me to do this, so I did it. And then she said, why don't you tell him? And he's like, I don't want him to resent his mother. Um, in a lot of films like this, somehow the person finds out the truth and then forgives the, the, the main person. And I, I hate that trope. So in this film, when he forgives him despite not knowing the truth and 
you know, that, that, that whole storyline plays out. I was like very happy to hear that it worked out that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so sad. Like it's, it's, it's another one of those um, points of the film where it reminds you that this movie has emotional depth to it. Um, him being reminded of that death was just it was so heartbreaking for him to see. He had no response. Like he had to kind of look down. He was shamed for it. Look, he's kind of like looking away. It's hard. It was really, really hard to watch. Um, mm. So we yeah, have really good stuff, really good stuff on the storytelling, Mr. Joseph Koizinski, even though he didn't write the film, but I think he deserves a lot of the credit. Um, so Maverick is reluctant to further interfere with Rooster's career, but the alternative is to send him on the extremely dangerous mission. He tells his doubts to Iceman, who has terminal throat cancer. This is another one of those things where, uh, like we were talking about Black Panther, what kind of forever. Yeah. It's, like it's, it's the exact same situation, except we still have a person who's alive. Kind of weird, isn't it? It's cool. I, I think I guess like, both cool. films handle it like very well. And maybe it's like kind of cheap to use like real life to sort of evoke emotion. Because it feels like emotional very like, well. manipulation. <laughs> Yeah, kind of. Like, you know, oh, how could we not feel sad? The actual actor's going through this. but Yeah, because otherwise um, you'd be criticized for like, what? Are you, like, do you hate the fact that he has cancer? <laughs> it's like, are you yeah, anti-cancer but, people? Like, what are you talking about? But the thing is, I feel like in this film it makes a lot of sense because how does Maverick not get it ahead but also not be, like, fired, right? And it's because he's got this very powerful person who respects the hell out of him, looking out for him his entire career. Yeah, he's like the anchor. Um, he is the anchor for the film. Yeah, like, it just makes so much sense. And I just really, like, I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times, I just respect the fact that this sequel makes sense, sure. like, chronological, like, what has happened in the in-between time. I was waiting for the throat cancer story to happen, man. It didn't even kick in. <laughs> Oh, like them explaining <laughs> yeah. it, or yeah, I'm just, joking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like, where's that story? Come on now, no, no, it's, like, it's gotten bad. Oh, has it? I'm so sorry to hear that. Boom, that's all you need. <laughs> Very efficient. No, they didn't even go as far as saying that. They just kind of say that he's got throat cancer, and that's about it. No, they, oh, they don't actually they mention throat yeah, cancer. Yeah, yeah. She, his wife just says it's gotten very yeah, bad. Right. It hurts to talk that's now. Right. Yeah, which is good. It's effective. I love. I love the fact that, like, he's just got, like, a Word doc pretty much in, like, size That's 85 right. font. That's how he communicates. <laughs> nah, man, it's a program. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's, like, this giant, like, Times New Roman in the middle of the screen. I, th- I thought he would have those, uh, you know, those, like, I don't even know what those programs are called, but, you know, people that have, like, uh, who are paraplegics and they kind of, like, do they talk like and breathe into a straw? Yeah, I think they like breathe into a straw and it like says stuff. And yeah. stuff. It's kind of crazy. I thought he would have something like that, but he's just typing. Yeah. <laughs> I think the typing thing actually is a little bit more. He's typing uh, in like the night mode feature as well. <laughs> yeah, but it feels like a, I'm not sure what, what's the term. Like it feels I don't. This is probably a root, maybe a rude thing to say. Like it feels more like sort of clean, maybe like regal. Like he seems more impressive as a person who's like able to still at least type if he's like he gives me store, he seems like super disabled he gives me the christopher reeve vibe um have you ever seen smallville tv series yes uh not that much though there's a so christopher reeve appears on the tv series he, he's a guest star or guest um yeah guest star uh i can't remember which season but it might have been like season five or something like that uh it was actually yeah, just was well gone by then <laughs> it was just before he died actually so he he guest stars as like a professor who knows everything about astrology. Astrology? 
astronomy, mm. not astrology, <laughs> astronomy, and he knows about like Krypton existing and all that kind of stuff. And oh wow, and so cool. like he looks like the super important character very regal as well and he's and the way he's kind of statured and talking to clark kent it's kind of meta right because he's you know superman blah blah, blah. um <laughs> it's good it kind of reminds me of that scene from smallville uh with heisman in this one that's cool yeah it's kind of cool and matt okay so the scene whoo uh it was incredibly powerful scene i even love the lead up to it where he's he's on the he's on the phone he's texting the same thing that we we're talking about before he's texting and he said um i can't remember what he says in the text but it's something along the lines of like i i it's can't like, let him do it or whatever it was more like i think it's like i need to see you and then maverick says it's not it's a not good a good time, time and like, um, it's not a question and iceman's like i'm not yeah, asking i'm not asking yeah. yeah that's right yeah um and then he goes to see him and, and like, I remember sitting in the theater watching him. I was like, oh my God, are we actually going to get to see Valcoma? <laughs> and I was like, wow, we're actually going to get to see him. It's so cool. This whole lead up to seeing him was perfect. I wasn't expecting to see him on screen. I would have been happy for him to just be on text because in my mind, I was like, this is a really effective way of having a character. It's really powerful still. Um, and then when he goes to see him, He's on his chair. He actually looks quite good, you know. He's like well groomed. Yeah, he's got like lip gloss on. <laughs> um, and you know, he's he just looks like he's quite good. And then he's typing. The scene is just pitch perfect in the way it's directed. Like the way he's typing, the just the editing scope, the back and forth between them two, and Maverick is doing all the talking. But I still felt the weight of whatever Valkuma was delivering you know, and, mm. and all he was typing was just like one sentence and like four words or something. It was really, really short. And then at some point he just points at a previous sentence. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good though. It is just so yeah. damn good. And then, um, and then he says the words, it's time to let go. And then we cut to Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise is, he's in like full on tears at that point. Um, but even pre tears, I don't think you actually see. No, nah, yeah, like not full on, like like sort of waterfall tears, but he's got like you know the quivering tears in yeah. his eyes. And then he says, I th- "What does he say? He uh, I can't let go or something." He's he's sort of saying like he doesn't know how. But, yeah, I, know I think how, he's yeah. talking about like not being a what is it, like not being a pilot anymore type of thing, mm-hmm. and like and being able to let go of goose, I suppose. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what he's <laughs> referring to. He couldn't let go of this guilt. Um, and he just showed it all in that performance and he was just, and then, and then the quivering sort of tears in his eyes start rolling and then he starts crying, like not full on, like emotional, like can't talk type crying, but it was, it was emotional, deep crying. (laughs) And, Mm. and Iceman's like sort of staring at him and he's, he's, he's giving him this like inspirational look, like this look of it's okay. Everything's going to be all right, but you really need to let go. Um, and then, and then the scene, the the way it kind of starts to end, or the way it tapers off, he stands up. Iceman stands up off a chair, and he goes up to him, and he says whatever his like last few words were. <laughs> um, I can't remember what he says to him, but oh, he pretty much says something like, "Um, the Navy needs Maverick." Yeah. Yeah. Yep. See, it's fresh in your mind because you just saw it. It's great. <laughs> I saw it like 10 minutes ago. Oh, and actually an hour and 20 minutes ago. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, it's so powerful the way he delivers the really short lines. It doesn't have to be very long because the whole scene is quite powerful. 
Um, well, they've, they've made a big deal to say that him talking is actually a big deal. So whatever he said was always going to be powerful, which yeah. I quite liked. Like they set that up really well. Yeah. That was a really good setup. I just loved it. And they give it, a, and then they sort of hug it out. Um, I'm sitting in the theater, like freaking crying my eyes out. I'm like, I, don't, <laughs> I had no idea I was going to be crying in a Top Gun movie. <laughs> like, what the heck? I could like hear people next to me as well, like crying as well. You hear the sniffles in the crowd. Um, really, really good stuff. Really good stuff. And um, and then I just love the way it, it ends with a uh, like comedic levity, you know, um, where he says, "I got one last thing to oh, ask yeah. you." He's like, "Who's the who's the better pilot?" Is it me yeah. or you? And then he says, this is a great moment. Don't ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's perfect, right? It's perfect. It leaves, it starts off really, um, really kind of nice and fruitful. And then it gets really emotional. He confronts his, his challenge of uh, his guilt. Um, they, he consoles him or Iceman consoles him. And then it finishes off nicely with a little bit of a joke, just like how it was back in the day in the first Top Gun movie. So awesome. Mm. Like awesome, awesome shit. Nah, that was great. <laughs> uh, okay, so where were we? <clears throat> Maverick is like, yep, yep, we got that. Uh, before dying, Iceman advises that it is time to go, yeah, what we said before, and reassures him that both the Navy and Rooster will need Maverick. With Maverick's yep. protector gone, um, yeah, because that was pretty emotional as well. We see a little bit of the f- funeral. We don't see much of it, but... Um, a fair bit. Yeah. It was actually kind of interesting. So the way that your um, synopsis sort of reads, it's like, with Maverick's protector gone, Cyclone removes him as instructor following a training incident in which the, a plane is lost, right? Mm-hmm. But in the film, they have the incident, yep, and then he dies. Right, and right. then it's kind of implied that Cyclone simply removes him purely because um, Iceman is gone, right. not because yeah. of the actual incident. Yep. Yeah. Weird synopsis. One thing I did like, though, is, like, this kind of has a sense of Ocean's Eleven-y thing to it. Like, I, and I'll, I'll delve into that a little bit. Like, is that with all the high sequences? The, or <laughs> Well, it's kind of like, you know how Ocean's Eleven is very much like they're training for a heist and yeah. they're trying to, like, sort yeah. of get everything in order and they're doing a lot of training in order to make it work? I think this is something that this movie does really well that the first movie did not. In the first movie, all the dogfight scenes are just sort of, like, generic. You don't really know what they're doing or what winning looks like. You don't have an understanding this of like, film, what the weak, weak points are in the first film, whereas this one you have a full understanding of the weak points. Well, it's, it's not the weak points. It's more like just like when they're in the plane, I don't know who's doing what. Who's meant to be shooting, who's meant to be dodging, what does a win look like? Whereas in this film, it's like, okay, first one, dogfighting. Who's hitting who? And they've got that montage. Second one, it's like, can you get through this race course within three minutes? I mean, you see pe- like you see everyone having their own mistakes. Like um, one of them just fails. The hangman character goes too fast, leaves his wingman behind and causes them to crash. The rooster character is too timid and um, causes them to be slow. And so I just love the fact that, like, these dog fighting scenes have a clear purpose to them and you know what the stakes are and you know what winning looks like. Yeah, that's right. Um, everyone gets yeah. assigned their position properly and there's, like, clear instructions, clear direction. Um, but but yeah. I, I think that it works like that because uh, Maverick jumps in. I think that's why it works. Um, well, I mean, in the second one, Maverick doesn't actually do the course, right? He's just, mm-hmm. like, watching them do it. And you just see how hard it is because they actually play the stakes up really well. Like, they're like, oh, that's so difficult. And then you see them, like, breathing really heavily in the cockpit. One thing that I do love about this film is that 
you get a lot of sense of how difficult being a pilot is just purely by their labored breathing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, so, yeah, Saka removes him as instructor following a training incident uh, in which an F-18 is lost. A cyclone relaxes the mission. Um parameters so they are easier to execute but allow the enemy jets to catch the team much easier i guess during cyclone's announcement maverick makes an unauthorized flight through the training course with his preferred parameters proving that it can be done cyclone reluctantly appoints maverick as team leader i i love this this scene as well i love yeah. the fact that he just he he does what he's what is kind of very central to his character which is he's insubordinate but he's not being insubordinate for the sake of wanting to be a smart ass or he's wanting to do it to prove a point um whether he could have done it in a different way perhaps not uh, maybe there's no way around doing it unless you actually become insubordinate <laughs> and, and do something yeah like it's it's actually presented really well in the story as well because, like, in when he gets dismissed, he's sort of saying, like, I'm preparing these kids. <clears throat> um, they need to know that this can be done. And John Hamm's character is like, you've only shown them that it can't be done. And I think, like, oh, you've kind of frozen. You yeah, like, I'm still here. Sorry. Ah, cool, cool. <laughs> but, yeah, your face is, like, <laughs> but, yeah, like, like he sort of says, like, you've only shown them it can't be done. And the thing that's kind of interesting here is, like, Cyclone relaxes the parameters because he's kind of expecting people to die, which I kind of forgot about in this movie. We, we, we earlier said that, like, Cyclone's not an evil dude, but these, like, this action here is somewhat evil. He's essentially ensuring some people die. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's strange. I, I can kind of understand... Um, like why, you know, because he just doesn't have that same experience in risk taking that someone like, um, Maverick has. So I can understand like why he wouldn't actually make that decision. Um, he doesn't want to make sure everyone gets back. He wants to make sure that the thing gets blown up. Yep. So yep. pretty much, I, I don't yeah, think he has but... any intention of wanting to kill anybody, but, <laughs> but he's, he's yeah. of this of the kind that will do whatever is necessary. Right. Yeah, and I think it's cool. Like, this scene is good because, again, it shows really well through the labored breathing of just how hard it is for Maverick to do this job. Like, it's quite difficult. Two, the fact that the, all these teams who are the best of the best failed, like, quite miserably previously, again, adds sort of weight to what Maverick does. So it does, like, a combo job of, one, Maverick, like, does what he sets out to do, which you're interested in. Two, it kind of reaffirms Maverick as, like, a badass and way better than all of them. And, like... Actually, I'm not sure there is a three, but yeah, I think it was like a really powerful scene in that respect. You can make up a three just to make it classic. One, two, three. Oh, it's also like, I feel like it's kind of weird. The team, they respected him in like when he dogfights them, but they don't seem to really respect him. But then you see when he actually pulls off the course in 215, they couldn't do it in three minutes. Like, they really respect the hell out of him after yeah. that. And you kind of get the sense that, you know, they'll follow him into hell after he does that. <laughs> True. Maybe I wouldn't go to hell, but I understand what you're saying. I feel like they would, though, after that scene. Like, um, even Roos is really impressed. That's, that's like, kind of the power, and like, within that culture of, like, military and uh, and what whatever, right? Like, that's the culture within the military. Because, you know, their life is about 
or their their job is literally about life and death. When when mm. people in regular jobs like to say, "Oh, this is a matter of life and death," you know, when like sales or whatever. So this is a matter of life and death. It's like, dude, no way. This is like you losing <laughs> potentially your car or whatever. People in the military are literally <laughs> they're literally gambling with their life. Um, so yeah, I mean that's why you have to have this this uh, yeah sense of sacrifice that has to come with you being part of something like the military. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, so during Sokolov's announcement, I already said that part, right? Yep. Cool. We get into <laughs> we get into the last part of the film, the Act Three. Maverick flies the the lead FA eighteen E in the strike package accompanied by a buddy lazing f-18 flown by lieutenant uh, natasha phoenix trace and wso lieutenant robert bob uh floyd what's their relationship again so bob and natasha they're they're partners they're just like goose and yeah they're like i feel like wait like goose yeah goose and maverick like one guy's the back seat guy and one it's kind of weird how like Bob is the only, like, obvious backseat guy in this entire thing. And, again, Goose was kind of the only obvious backseat guy in the first film. Mm. I feel like everyone's got a backseat guy and a front seat guy, yeah. but, you know, everyone's, everyone's so got a guy in the chair. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, which uh, Rooster leads the second strike pair, which includes Lieutenant Ruben Payback, Fitch uh, and WSO Lieutenant Mickey Fanboy Garcia. The four jets launch from an aircraft carrier. The Tomahawk cruise missiles destroy the nearby airbase as they approach. The team successfully destroy the plant, but the SAMs, the SAMs, open fire during their escape. Um, Rooster runs out of the countermeasures, and Maverick sacrifices his F 18 to protect Rooster, uh, believing. Maverick to be killed. The others are ordered back to the carrier. Okay, for a moment, to be honest, I actually thought that Maverick died. Did you? Did you feel that at all? Yeah, I think it would have been like a really poignant way for him to go. Okay, like, I'm glad I'm not the only one that felt that because because I was I was yeah, kind of thinking, like, oh, is that, am I the only loser that thought that? Right? He died doing what he loved. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and and you're right. I think it would have been a fitting end for him in some kind of way. But I'm also glad that it didn't kill him. Yeah, like he's uh, sacrificing himself, and he actually mentions it uh, later in the film. Like sacrificing himself to save Goose's son is probably a way he wanted yeah, to go exactly. out too, yeah. which which so makes actually, it, I was, it far more powerful. The like the the guilt that he has seems far more overbearing when he feels that way. Yeah, when he's like, you know, I saved your life. That's how I was meant to be. You're not meant to, you know, save mine. Yeah. Um, one thing that's kind of uh, I didn't like about this film was oh, again the hangman character. Hang in there, everybody. Um. Yeah. <laughs> no, the hangman character is like this like cocky bastard in the film. He doesn't really get a whole lot of screen time. And then when um Rooster takes his job and you know, presumably it's like not super fair, right? Like Tom Cruise just likes Rooster, that's why he gets picked. But Hangman takes it with a lot of grace. He says, you know, give him hell. Um and then later in the film, like, saves him. And it's just like sort of he has this very big about face that's just not explained at all. Like, was he just always a nice guy that was kind of competitive or was he a prick and something happened to make him turn nice or did he always secretly respect Rooster? Like, none of these things are explored. And I just feel like this is one of those 
this was probably the most glaring example of you have these extra characters, they have kind of a personality, but they're not fleshed out at all. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I guess that goes back to what I was saying before, is that we don't have any context to these characters. We're just presented these characters as they are on screen without any kind of background, which I'm fine with. I mean, I, I think the, like, learning a little bit more about um, Hangman because of, like, trying to understand why he's like this, and then all of a sudden he's like, something else it seems a little bit contradictory to how we know him yeah because you're talking about like when he saves them at the end right not even that like right before he they go on the mission he's like he looks at rooster and he says give him hell like he's just like super supportive at that point and there's just been nothing to indicate that he would be super supportive uh yeah i guess i guess i don't know if i'd entirely agree with that because i think the he's never been a person that wanted to be like anti-team either He's always been a person that wanted to, well, at least the way I understand. No, because the thing is, in the film, like in the scene where he is doing the the Kenyan run, he goes fast, and his partner's like, "I can't, um, I can't keep up," and he's like, "Well, you know what? Nothing wrong with being ahead of a schedule." And then, um, he's just super selfish. Like he's not a team player at all in in that scene. So that's the thing that. I don't know, you know, that kind of stuff kind of irks me. Yeah, when yeah. I, people go against their previous. For sure, for sure. But but then I would say. Yeah. I would say that he is still a person that wants to succeed regardless of whether it's he succeeds or where everybody succeeds. I think he's, he's more about the mission succeeding and less about, cause, cause that's in my, in my mind, I interpret that as he wants the mission to be successful. And if that means leaving behind a teammate, then that means leaving behind a teammate, which isn't the right thing to do. Obviously you have other people like goose and Maverick who are wanting to save their teammates but they all have the same um, goal, which is they want to have a successful mission. Yeah, see, I guess, I don't know, maybe I I'm, I don't want to spend too long on this, but I disagree with that. <laughs> um, and, and the main reason is, like, every time you see him, he's characterized as being ridiculously selfish. Like, when you see him at the bar scene, he's like, who's going to be the team leader and which ones of you are going to follow me as team leader, pretty much, he says. And then in the dogfight scene, he goes off and Maverick actually says, oh, leaving your wingman out to dry. That's an interesting story. Uh, so that's an interesting strategy. And then in the Canyon run, he leaves behind his teammate. Like he's just constantly shown to be really selfish. Yeah. So it just seems like a huge about face yeah, for me at for least. Sure. And there's just not enough screen time to then like further and answer, answer and like sort of develop that part. Yeah, exactly. Like I mm. just think if he was kind of like bitter about Rooster getting the job, and then, oh, then again, when he saves the day, you'd hate him. I don't know. Like, maybe that's sort of a storyline problem. I'm also, I'm also kind of like reminded of the scene where he gives, uh, where Maverick gives them that hard chat. Is it Maverick or? And they're all standing like in the whatever it is, the foyer or whatever, and they're all just really down about it. They all feel guilty about the whole situation. Um, and I remember Hangman and his reaction, and he was kind of like, yeah. <laughs> what kind of shit or whatever um that was a little bit of a moment was it in the classroom or are you talking about when he's like when like he keeps asking them why they failed and he's yeah. like telling them oh tell it to his dead family type yeah. of thing yeah yeah he, he just seems like extreme i know that like phoenix feels sad and um yeah i forget actually but Anyway, okay, yeah. that's cool. I think we spent a lot of time on that. <laughs> um, 
So the team successfully destroy the plot. Oh, actually, do we want to talk about this? Sorry, before we go further, like we've just sort of like glossed over the entire like main action sequence. This was very well done. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah, 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 Yeah. for sure. (laughs) (laughs) The whole yeah, yeah, yeah. like going around the whole canyon and stuff. Um, Yeah, Yeah. it was really awesome. It was really, really well shot. I mean, this is more of that dogfight stuff that we're talking about before, where the impact was. Well, sorry, the action had impact. Um, the threshold, like you really felt like you felt the claustrophobia of, of the, the jets going through the canyon and as well, like just, um, just really riveting stuff. Like I can't really think of how else to describe it, but yeah, really riveting. Yeah. It's very exciting. And I think like it just shows like so much character growth from Rooster. Cause you see him, like you kind of see him say like, you know, talk to me dad, the same way Maverick says, talk to me goose. And then that's what causes him to say, okay, I'm going to follow Maverick and do this whole do not think. And he's the one who shoots the missiles, like Luke Skywalker style, like without any tips. Um, And I guess one thing this movie does a really good job of, especially for like a non-plane loving person like myself, is like it's really good at contextualizing how difficult their job is. Like when you see in the training run that guy pass out and almost die, you can go, okay, this climb is going to be a big deal. And I think, like, a lot of films do this thing where they'll just sort of explain, oh, yeah, this is hard. And then when they do it first try, it's like, oh, was it that hard? I don't know. Whereas in this one, I think it does a really good job of, like, sort of just showcasing these are hard things these people are doing. It's showing that barrier, like how high that barrier is or um, yeah. how high that threshold is. Um, and it's very I really like the, the, like the context of the actions of the film. Like, yeah, it's good. For sure. It's really good. Um, yeah, and I just love how they have to go into that big uh, dive um, into the base and then shoot yeah. themselves. It's like there's there's two rounds of it. The first round is the the first pair that goes through, and then the second round is the last pair, which is um, uh, Rooster and uh, who was it? Rooster and fanboy, fanboy, I think. Yeah, but yeah, I think it was like. Like, you know, when you see the, the laser fail, it's like, that's such a predictable trope. But like, you're into it by then. Like, you, you don't, you don't care. Like, you want it. Yeah. And it, they could have easily have been like, oh, is the missile going to hit? Is the missile going to hit? And the, the, the camera tracks the missile. And that would have been a bit over the top, I think. The way they did it was, was perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. I mean, you're never going to get around mm-hmm. the fact that, like, we know what the outcome is by the end. Like, you know, at this point, we, we know that the good guys are going to win, but it's more about how do they effectively put it together? Um, how do they direct this whole scene? How do they build the tension so hard and the anticipation to get to that reward? That's what it's about. And I think the journey was just great. Yeah. Um, so uh, believing Maverick is to be killed. Yep, we've done that. Rooster returns to find that Maverick safely ejected and is being targeted by an MI-24 helicopter gunship. Uh, after destroying the gunship, Rooster is shot down by a SAM and, re- and ejects. The two rendezvous and steal an F-14 from the destroyed airbase. Maverick and Rooster destroy two intercepting SU-57s, <laughs> but a third arrives as they run out of ammunition and countermeasures. Hangman arrives from standby and destroys the last SU-57 before it shoots down Maverick and Rooster, and the planes return safely. Okay, cool. So let's talk about this, like, whole part and it's kind of like wrapping up here um Mm. um, so i love how you know they sort of rendezvous together and they they argue and bicker on the fact that you're not supposed to save me and like sort of push (laughs) each other over i love how they didn't spend a lot of time on it 
because they could have easily, they could have like indulged a lot in that whole kind of bickering because, you know, we're doing this whole thing of like, you know, we don't quite like each other. We have beef, but we're eventually going to come together through us having to work together to, to get out of this safely. I get that they were doing that, but I love how it didn't indulge in it. You know, it just kind of like did it for a little bit. And then Maverick was like, all right, so we need to go here. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. love how it was just quick. It was straight to the point. I really enjoyed that as well. The fact that like the escape, like the on foot escape part, I thought was going to be like this whole thing, and it wasn't. No, it was, it was super over quick. very yeah, quickly. It was, I was really happy yeah. about that as well because it could have been like a whole Mission Impossible type thing movie at that point. I was like, oh, okay, are we, is this going to turn into. Yeah, like they've got to murder a bunch of guards, they've got to like try and get out, and they're shooting them on the way yeah, out. That's like right. that it could have been a whole thing. It could have right? easily been like Maverick turns into Ethan Hawke. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Ethan Hawke? From Mission Impossible. Come on. Isn't Ethan Hawke the guy from Training Day? Oh, maybe it is. <laughs> Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, call myself a movie expert. Yeah, man. Um, I didn't know. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, unimportant. Yeah, anyway, yeah. So it was really good, really efficient. I love how they get back into the air, and then they have to. It goes straight back into that dogfight sequence, which is what the film is about. All well, the action is about the dogfights, and I love how we go back into air. He's 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 uh being traveled and traveled he's been tracked by two um su 57s uh 50 generation fighters whatever on the side by side and i just love how <laughs> they're trying to like communicate they're trying to you know, yeah. they're trying to do like all sorts of things and i just love how it's like they identify that every single country i guess has their own signaling in the air because you know maverick was I mean, like Rooster like, says something like, "What yeah. he's saying?" He's like, "I don't know. I'm just kind of <laughs> yeah." He's like just, just waving, waving, pretty just much. Wave, just wave. <laughs> and then they had this whole. They do a yeah, yeah. I was just saying, they do a good job of like establishing the tension in that scene because you think they're getting away with it, and he's like, "Yeah, then we're not getting no. away with this." Like he's moving into a weapons position yep. on me. Yeah, moving into yeah. it, and we're not going to be able to withstand this. We're, we're either going to die or we're going to be able to get away somehow. But the stakes couldn't be any more higher. Like the, were they running out of fuel as well? Or was it just ammunition? Nah, it was, there wasn't even running out of ammunition. Like they had good amounts of ammunition. They just use it all taking That's out these right. two planes. Yep. Yep. And then, um, the tension builds up and builds up. And like, at some point you kind of think they're going to get shut down and then maybe they kind of survive by swimming in the ocean or something. I don't know. Um, I just love how the the person that comes in to save the day is actually Hangman. I kind of like that. Mm. Um, I know you weren't a big fan of that, maybe, but <laughs> no, I actually did like it because he was shown to be gracious yep. right before Rooster went. Yep. Like if, because like the thing is, again, he's done a one eighty, and you kind of assume that he was like always a nice guy, or maybe mm. something happened to make him do a one eighty. But then by the time you do see him, you've forgiven him because he's been gracious to Rooster yep. ahead of time. Yep. But again, it goes against his character. But it enables that saving to be a positive thing. Because if he didn't show up to save them, mm-hmm. then Hangman is like a nothing character. Well, yeah, because he's kind of like out of the film for quite a bit of time now. Like, uh, yeah, um, he's had, he has kind of like nothing to do because he doesn't get chosen. So I love the fact that he's the one that comes in and saves the day. Um, and I have to mention the way he comes in. Like, you see the missiles come through and then it sort of blows up the... Um, the russians are they russian no they're not russian <laughs> they're unnamed, unnamed which i like which is cool they're kind of like faceless uh villains um and it's probably one of the very few films that and is able to have faceless villains that don't really mean anything but they create enough stakes for the characters to have 
character depth, you know, and sort of story yeah. depth, and it's really hard to do that. Um, so yeah, when when he sort of flies in after the missiles hit the the fifth generation fighters, the Mav- the Top Gun theme song kicks in again. The dun- oh, I wasn't aware of that. I'm actually a terrible sound effect. Um, I, I'm also again very happy. Like, there's a couple of things that I'm really happy about the sto- um, storyline choices. Like, one, there's like a budding romance between Phoenix and um. Uh, oh, I mean, maybe it is, or maybe it isn't. No. no, 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 like like Phoenix and Rooster. Oh yeah, yeah. And they don't delve into that at all, and I appreciate that because that's like more time that would have been wasted. Yeah. But two, there's an element of they've stolen an enemy fighter. Will they know who we are? Like that whole right. thing. And again, they don't do that, and I just. There's a lot of like sort of very common tropes that I was like, oh crap, are they going to do this thing that I hate? And they didn't do any any. <laughs> That's of them. great, man. Yeah, and, and like you said, like you couldn't have said it any more more better or good way to describe it is that it's just a very very efficient film, very very efficient mm. storytelling, um, and just great ways of presenting the characters and how they're involved in the story. It's surprising to call a two-hour and ten-minute action film efficient, but it somehow is. It's, yeah, like, it's just <laughs> really, 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 really good shit. Um, so later, Rooster helps Maverick work on his P fifty-one Mustang. Uh, Rooster looks at a photo of their mission success pinned alongside a photo of his late father and a young Maverick as Penny and Maverick fly off into the sunset in the P fifty-one. Which I guess is a plane. Yeah. yeah. Just another one of those planes. <laughs> and that is the end of the film. That was a plane P fifty one Yeah, nice. Um uh I, I, well, I want to mention the last scene or not not the last 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 scene, but when they go back to base and they're on the carrier. I love the connection the reconnect you know they have like both him and rooster maverick and rooster yeah i love how it didn't again it didn't spend a lot of time and kind of like become this soapy kind of uh super cliched emotional thing you know it was just like maverick went up to him everyone's sort of congratulating everybody high-fiving whatever he goes up to him goes up to rooster and he says rooster and he goes to explain something i guess he goes to like make an apology but then rooster just says Oh, I think he just hugs him. I think he doesn't even say anything. He just goes up and hugs him. Yeah. And that was like all they needed to do. That was like, yeah. Was perfect. Like, they didn't have to have this like long dialogue between the two of them. <laughs> uh, it was that kind of moment of like military respect for each other. It's like when you look into each other's eyes and then you respond with like a physical expression, which is just a hug. It's like, that's all you need to know. So I thought that was really good. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing I really did like about that end scene is that, like, you kind of get, like, a a bunch of different, like, um, closures. Like, you get Hangman shaking the hand of Rooster. You know, they respect each other now. They see each other as, like, equals or both very good at what they do. You see Warlock, um, and he's there, and he's, like, you know, very, very happy. And you kind of see that he always believed in Maverick because he saw it firsthand how good Maverick was. Then you see John Hamm like begrudgingly respect Maverick yeah, now. Like yeah. he had that I kind of feeling, uh, sort of neutral, uh, a little bit like I don't like you, but then I also kind of like your expression going on, which is really cool. Yeah, it's like like I because like in the start of the film when he says like your reputation precedes you, and it's like thank you, and it's like that's not a compliment. It <laughs> sort of feels like you know he kind of like he knows he's good, but he doesn't really buy it, and he doesn't think it's worth all the trouble. Yep. yep Whereas yep. by the end of the film, you kind of get a sense that like 
he gets it now. Oh, he's he's an and admirable. So, he's all about m- minimizing risk, right? Yeah, but I think like he kind of like I mean maybe it was just me, but I got a sense that okay, because when when Iceman died, you kind of get the implication that like Maverick's career is kind of in the shitter now, and then now you see John Hamm is like you know I, I get it, and so you can kind of feel like okay, there's a good closure here. Like Rooster and Maverick, they're cool. Uh, you've got Rooster and Hangman, like they're kind of cool, and then now you have like um, Maverick is probably seen as actually. Uh, a respectable guy to have in the Navy still. Like, the Navy can still keep a guy like Maverick because he's proven himself yet again. Yeah, for sure. It's so good. Yeah. Really good ending. Um, damn. So, oh, I think we should just give it our score out of 10. Cool. You reckon? Uh, I, wait, as a guest, do I always go first? I feel <laughs> like I always go first. Sure. I mean, you don't have to, but, oh, but I can go first. I don't mind. Yeah, do it. Go. Okay. So I'm going to give this a straight up 10 out of 10. Oh, shit. Yeah. Kind of have to. I just, I, I, I find it difficult to find faults in this film. And the only faults that I have are really, really, really tiny. You know, they're not really faults as such. You know, they're not kind of story impacting faults. They're not um, directing impacting faults or anything like that. It's just like, I kind of have nitpicks around like how they could have done some of the characters adding a little bit of context like what i said before um but that's kind of like all i have i mean the film is two hours and 11 minutes but it felt like it was an hour and a half (laughs) yeah like this is one of those films for me where like the runtime is long and yet i can't think of anywhere where they wasted footage which is odd um like and the interesting thing is like i don't really gravitate towards action films really and yet, again, I just I was entertained by this. Like it was an entertaining film, yeah. and all the action scenes had context, had um, impact, and it all made sense. Like sort of furthering the the actual plot, which I think it's rare, right? Like sometimes you watch an action film and it's just like mindless action for no real reason. Yeah, this just has so much depth yeah. to it. It has so much emotional depth to it, and I was not prepared to like be this emotional. I was kind of caught off guard. Um, I, I I didn't realize I was going to cry that much. I was like, <laughs> damn! It's like there's damn. so many feels here, so many tears, and it's like even in the last last shot or one of the last shots, you know, where well maybe it is the last shot. No, it is. You know, like with with the photo. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And it's just of him and Rooster. It's very similar to him and um, Iceman. I think I think him and Goose and him and Rooster yeah. are in the same shot. Yeah. It's just beautiful. It just get, like it just really sent it home, and it really was like a cherry on top of a really good cake. So just loved it. Ten out of ten, man. Ten out of ten. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like for me, I don't really know what I want to give it because like I was don't be afraid. I've man. kind of talked myself into a bit of a ten. <laughs> I it, I was floating between a nine and a ten. Like I actually did really like this film quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I'll probably maybe just say nine point five in that case. <laughs> don't be afraid to give tens, man. <laughs> I, I am like. It is a very good film. For an action film, it does its job very well, and I have not a lot of nitpicks to give. So maybe it is a 10, to be honest. Like, yeah. I don't want to force you into That's a 10 good. either. Come on now. <laughs> no, but like, it's, it's like for a Top Gun film to be even in that, like, sort of conversation is a shock to me. So I, I know, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what yeah. I, I feel like that's what makes the film even better is that we don't expect a Top Gun film about. A bunch of dudes like flying planes in the air, which is like supposed to be straight up action. Um, but you know, it just it's kind of crazy that it's that good. 
Yeah, I was shocked. And the thing is, I was on like a 27-inch monitor, right? Like, I wasn't even watching it on a TV. Can you imagine what it was like in the cinema, dude? Jeez, yeah. man. Everyone was saying, like, this is a movie you got to watch oh, in the cinema, and I God. get it. Because yeah, you, you get a real sense of speed of the planes. Yeah. Um, look, you know what? Maybe it is a 10, because realistically, Sorry, I put it, 10 made me, <laughs> <laughs> it made me understand um, planes in a way where I don't have to go, oh, it's the top cat or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Like, it just made me understand, one, they're really fast. Two, they're hard to fly. Three, they're, like, um, it's really difficult to get behind someone mm-hmm. so you can shoot them. Yep. And I really like the fact that as a non-plane guy, I can go into that world and understand the things that make it matter for a lay person because I think the first film did not do a good job of that. Yeah, for sure. It just did everything that a film should do, which is just mm. just 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 have a really well written and well directed film, and you'll get something like of Top Gun Maverick quality. So ten out of ten, folks! Incredible, incredible. Um, man, two hours. We love our two hour podcasts. Man, I don't know. Like we, at least we didn't go as long as the film this time. Mm. We're twenty minutes short. I'm happy about that. We should cut it. And we kind of do everything like very non-linear. Like for example, I'm about to say well, we didn't really introduce you, Tony. But <laughs> that's cool. I mean, like if you don't know me by now, I don't know if you're from. Yeah, it's true. You haven't listened to the other <laughs> podcast episodes. So there you go. There you. I'm go. a guy that watches things sometimes when River asks me to. <laughs> don't tell people that. <laughs> Um. All right, man. We should uh, bring this podcast episode to a close. Um, if everybody wants to find out where to find Tony or to stalk him on the internet, then I will put those in the show notes. So make sure you check them out. This time I will put in the show notes. I forgot to actually put it in the previous uh, cast that we did, Black Panther. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? I pay- People would have just gone on there to, uh, to I just listen anyway harass me oh, right. so. <laughs> like, Yo, bro, you're terrible you're yeah, yeah. black panther is amazing how could you say that about chadwick how could you he's a treasure <laughs> no chadwick was great yeah no he's great i actually didn't disparage him at all because he wasn't in it no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> whoa i can't i, yeah. can. I regret saying that actually he would have saved it he would have saved it guys look i like he would have saved that film yeah, exactly he would have saved it um anyway um good to have you man good to see you again um even though i saw you on saturday but oh yesterday yeah <laughs> always good to be here man always fun. how good was football yesterday well, though right oh man yeah it was amazing oh did you see like my story it's like we went to cheers bar it went off the place went crazy oh no i was talking about our futsal game <laughs> oh yeah that was all right too no, i did terrible there I actually, I think I scored something. Hopefully, Lockie got it on video. Nice, nice. It was good. The sun yeah. was intense, though, man. Jeez, like dripping. No, so much. You know what, though? I am a fan. I realize now. I know you're against this because you want to go to indoor really badly. If I don't play this outdoor game, I literally never go outside. Like, what? I actually like the fact that it's outdoor. Yeah, like I'm outside very what little. You, you know, you wake me? up, you go to work. You know, you wake up, you travel to work, you come home, and then you sort of lounge. Like, the fact oh, that on no. Saturday I could be in you, the sun for two hours. You could just walk, you know. You know, you could just, like, spend an hour walking after work. <laughs> yeah, I don't, though. So, like, this is my moment. So I'm never going to go to indoor purely for the fact that I want to get a little bit of sun in my life. <laughs> Sun's important, man. You need to have some sun. Yeah, exactly. You like you would you would miss it when it was gone if we moved to indoor fully. I think the cost of your shoes is worth it. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. If your shoes last 10 games, 
then you've 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 made it back. How? What? what how are you measuring that? Because a pair of like a game would cost roughly ten bucks each, right? Each week. Ten weeks is ten hundred dollars. A pair of shoes is like a hundred dollars tops. Nah, I don't it's think you're, not you're a, spending hundred bucks. Not on if shoes. you have fifteen people or twenty people going each week. No, we've done fifteen people. It's always ten bucks every time we do indoor. Like we've actually done it like four times. When I know the cost. No, nah, but you're talking about the one in Tempe. Uh, the one that I booked, like it was less. Than Tempe? Yep. Like I've done Tempe, I've done Perry Park. They're both pretty much ten bucks per person, maybe twelve. Mm. I don't know which one you booked, but maybe we should just go to that Gunna Bala 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 whatever that really long name down. Gunyama, yeah. the free one. Yeah. Could do, but we can't get the goals. Like I want the futsal goals. That's the only. We thing. can actually get those really cool goals. Um. Anyway, we're like boring the listeners with this. <laughs> it's like now we're just like. No, I thought you. I thought you were gonna cut this part. You should cut this. Uh, you should no, definitely leave, cut I'm, this. I'm just part. gonna leave it in. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, good to good to have you uh, here, Tony, and really good to have the listeners around. If you really enjoyed, if you genuinely enjoyed this, you know, hit us with a follow. Hit the bell notification button so you know when the next one drops. As much as I don't want to sound like every other YouTuber, but that's kind of what I like to do because I would like you guys to follow the channel, um, especially if you like the content because we would like to do more of it, which is really, really, really fun. Tony, see you again. See you for uh, yeah. what's coming up. I don't know what's coming up. No idea. Yeah, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> but yeah, I'll see you around. I'll see you around. You'll probably man. see me back at some point. I mean, I bought a mic. I got to do this more. Yeah, exactly. Investment. <laughs> you got to make the most of it. You know how I am. <laughs> All right. Um, catch you later, Tony. And we'll see everybody else again. Bye-bye. Oh, bye-bye.